ancient Hebrews, like other societies and cultures of their time, felt that the heart was the most important organ in the body. We know now that the brain is actually the most important organ in the body and is the seat of our soul and consciousness. But the people I take care of really buy into that. They really care about their hearts. And that's one of the reasons I chose cardiology is because I knew people still had that emotional attachment to their heart and being the center of their life that gives their whole body life, just like ancient cultures did. It's not surprising then that there's over 800 references and verses associated with the heart. Some of them are uh, pretty profound and I, uh, I really enjoy, like Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all, it can't be cured. Who can understand it? As one of my professors at Loma Linda used to tell us that the, the Bible contains the first recorded heart transplant in Ezekiel, where God tells us that he will take out our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. I guess for me, what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart is to jump in with abandon and even if the odds are stacked against you, let yourself be vulnerable in the vigorous pursuit. From a Christian perspective in loving God, when we look at the world from the Ukraine to Uvalde, Texas, we see playing out today still what Robert Burns described in his poem back from 1785 about man's inhumanity to man, and that's what will make man mourn. While we're here for whatever time we have, I think we need to love God with all our hearts, even if we think the outcome here is not what we want and is a losing battle. So that's what I think about when I think of love the Lord your God with all your heart. Just jump in and give it all your heart. Please join me in standing for the reading of the word. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The word of God. You may be seated. It was an honest question. The scribe or legal expert in our text today had been listening to Jesus respond to all sorts of questions. You see, it was Tuesday of Passover week. Jesus was in the temple, and the day before, the Monday, he had cleansed the temple, he had thrown everyone out, and he has the gall to show up the next day on Tuesday, and people have a few questions for Jesus. They ask him, what right did he have to chase everyone out of the temple? They asked him, uh, is it lawful to pay taxes or not? They asked him, how would God sort out the complex social relationships at the resurrection? 
The scribe is impressed, honestly impressed with Jesus' responses. And now he really wants to know what Jesus is going to say to his question. He asks, which commandment is first of all? Now, when we talk about the commandments, especially as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, when we say commandments, we're usually thinking about ten. But in Jesus' day, rabbinic tradition affirmed 613 commands in the Torah. 613. Now, some were considered to be lighter or smaller, and some were considered to be greater or heavier or more weighty. And this scribe wants to know, what is the heaviest, the weightiest, the most important of them all? Jesus says, the first is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is one of the most important, if not the most important prayers in Judaism. It's called the Shema. The Shema, it's from that first word, Hear, O Israel. It actually is Shema, O Israel. Shema is the Hebrew word to hear. A well-known Midrash, or ancient Hebrew commentary, says that Jacob said the Shema before his death. That's Jacob. That's the original Jacob of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fame. The Jacob that was the father of Joseph. The Midrash says that this Jacob said the Shema before his death. Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus is quoting these words from Deuteronomy 6, repeating the words that Moses gave the children of Israel just before they went into the promised land, when they were on the edge. Observant Jews have said the Shema every morning and evening for millennia. Martyrs have died with these words on their lips. The Code of Jewish Law says that a child should be taught this first verse of the Shema as soon as that child starts to talk. Many Jewish babies have babbled their way through these words. Tradition dictates, dictates that this first verse of the Shema, the Shema is longer, it's three paragraphs taken from different places of Deuteronomy um, and the Torah, three different paragraphs. But this is the first verse. And tradition says that the Shema should be said while covering your eyes with your right hand. First, it eliminates distractions, right? Like bending your knees, bowing your head, folding your hands. But it also, there's also this idea that when you cover your eyes and you say the Shema, when you open your hand away from your eyes, you see the world with a new reality. That God truly is God, that the Lord truly is God, that the Lord truly is one, that you can see everything anew. So Jewish children, little kids learn to say the Shema, put their hand over their right hand over their eyes as they say it. I will spare you the adorable videos that proud parents have posted of their children learning how to say the Shema. But I have to tell you, one of those videos was of a 13-month-old 
boy, baby boy, who had not yet learned to say a word of the Shema, but his mother was saying, say Shema, say Shema, and every time she said Shema, this 13-month-old baby would put his right hand to cover his eyes. When Jesus is asked what is first, he turns to some of the first words that he himself would have learned as a baby, as a child. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Really? Love? Love? That's the most important? You might be here today thinking, I was hoping for something else, something more profound, something uh, less simple, less basic, less elementary, less 13-month-old. It reminds me of a story told of the famous Swiss Protestant theologian Karl Barth. One of the most influential theologians of the 20th century, it's been said that he was speaking at the University of Chicago on a lecture tour in 1962. A student asked him if he could summarize his theology in one sentence, and, and Dr. Bart wrote volumes and volumes and volumes of theology. One sentence. And he said this, Yes, I can. In the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Love. Is that it? Really? God loves me. I love God, my neighbor, myself. Now, it sounds simple. Many of us have heard this since. We were at least 13 months old, if not younger. But, but loving is not easy, friends. Loving is not easy. If it were, there would be no more wedding ceremonies. Why? Well, couples think, you think you plan a wedding because you're in love. But the wedding vows are there for when you're not in love, <laughs> right? This is, this is my husband and I in this sanctuary here um, at, at our wedding. And why do we invite all of these people? Why do we fill this church? Why do we stand up there and say those vows? It's because there's times you won't feel like it. That's why we make the promise. Because loving is not easy. Because being there for each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. We say these things precisely for the times we don't feel like loving and we don't feel like cherishing. We promise to keep acting in love whether we feel in love or not. The Shema says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, I want to thank our resident cardiologist, Dr. Jeffrey Brand, uh, for sharing what that means to you. Amen? I didn't even have to preach the sermon. He preached it in two minutes. 
Now, if you don't know Jeff yet and you have uh, young people ages from fifth grade to 12th grade or 10 to 18, you need to get to know this gentleman because he's not only an amazing cardiologist, he is an excellent Pathfinder director. So if you're missing it, you're missing out. Dr. Brand shared that the ancient Hebrews felt the heart was the seat of our consciousness, our heart. In fact, there is no word for brain in Hebrew. The Israelites felt that all intellectual activity comes from the heart. In the Bible, the heart is where you know, where you understand, where you discern, where you decide. And we still talk this way, don't we? We still talk of following your heart, of putting your whole heart into something or having a broken heart. If you have a broken heart, I just wanna mention at the end of January, we're having a grief group. If you go to lasierachurch slash grief Thursday nights, there's gonna be a community of people walking together for 13 weeks, so consider that if your heart is broken today. Today, the universal symbol for love is a heart. It's easy to put a heart on Instagram or Facebook or a text message, but loving is not easy. As Dr. Brand shared, the prophet mourns in Jeremiah 17, verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Maybe this morning you're here and you feel like you have a heart that's beyond cure. Maybe today you feel like you, your heart is a heavy heart. You have a heavy heart broken by loss. Maybe today you have a callous heart toughened by trauma. That's how we get calluses. We go through something again and again and again and again until our fingers are tough. So like Kevin Strain, we can play the guitar without hurting our fingers. Calluses are good for us, but they can, they can develop around our hearts as well. Maybe you have a heart that feels numb, deadened by neglect. You just haven't paid attention to your heart lately. Or maybe you're, you have a bitter heart, a heart enlivened by the desire for revenge. You don't feel like a change of heart is possible. You don't understand how Moses or Jesus can command love for God or anyone else because you certainly cannot manufacture those feelings. You cannot change your heart. But God promises to. Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We cannot change our hearts, but we can seek out the divine cardiologist. We can put ourselves in places where a change of heart can happen. We can choose to shama. The word is to hear, that first word of the shama, shama, to hear, but shama also means listen. It means to hear with your ears, but it means to listen. In Hebrew, there's also no word for obey. I kind of like that because I don't really like the English word obey, to be honest. 
But the hearing and listening of Shama implies action as well. We don't talk a lot about obeying at our house, but we do talk about being good listeners. <laughs> My four-year-old Eleanor asks all the time, am I being a good listener? She usually asks it when I'm very frustrated with Eric, and she's trying to compare and contrast. <laughs> am I being a good listener? In our house, being a good listener is now a competition, and it has nothing to do with how well our ears work. Being a good listener is about action. And in the acting, the feeling can change. I'm excited right now to be previewing a 10-week wellness experience called The Lift Project that some of us are hoping to bring here to Riverside, The Lift Project. And in the second week's lesson, the second week's lesson is called Motion Creates Emotion. Motion Creates Emotion. Emotion. It mentions a study from the 1970s from Clark University where a researcher put electrodes on people's faces. And the researcher made the electrodes uh, stimulate the places that would be for a smile or a frown. Now, the people did not know if they were being stimulated to smile or to frown, but they felt happier when their face was smiling, and they felt angrier when their face was frowning without knowing which they were doing or being stimulated to do. As a, as a, Vietnam, a Vietnamese peace activist says, sometimes your joy is the source of your smile, but sometimes your smile can be the source of your joy. We may or may not feel like loving God or loving our neighbor. But when we act how we want to feel, we're creating space for the divine cardiologist to be at work. We're creating space for our hearts to change. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch watchmaker who helped her father, Casper, and her sister, Betsy, to help many Jewish people escape from the Nazis in World War II. It's estimated that they helped about 800 people escape. Unfortunately, an informant told the Nazis about their work, and they were arrested and sent to concentration camps. Corey was released on December 31, 1944, but she lost her father in the camp and her sister, who died just days before she was released. In 1947, she was speaking in a church in Munich, Germany, with the message that God forgives and she describes what happens next in her book, The Hiding Place. As people were coming out of the auditorium where she was speaking, she saw a man coming toward her and she recognized him. This man was one of the guards at the concentration camp where her sister had died. But he did not recognize her. He said to her, that he had become a Christian, that God had forgiven him for the cruel things he had done, but he wanted to hear the word from her. He wanted her to say, I forgive you. So he put out his hand and he asked, will you forgive me? She writes, and I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and I could not Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? 
It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. She did the motion. God brought the emotion. Now, I certainly have never been in a Nazi concentration camp. But can I tell you the truth? Sometimes someone does something that hurts me and bothers me, and my feelings toward that person are not the best. And I had an experience like that very recently, and it had been a few months, and I saw that person and I realized that God had changed my heart towards them. That I no longer disliked that person. <laughs> Maybe the person you're having a hard time seeing today, the one you currently dislike, is God. When we talk about going through the motions, we we usually mean it in a negative way, right? They're just going through the motions. They're doing something without their heart or effort or enthusiasm. It's not there. But sometimes maybe we need to go through the motions, friends. Sometimes we need to go through the motions to give God the space to create the emotions, to give God the space to give us a heart transplant. Maybe sometimes we need to set our heart to doing something even if our heart isn't in it yet. Like Corey Ten Boom, we can choose to shama. We can choose to be good listeners. We can choose to lift our hand. We can ask God to change our hearts. Jesus said these words on a Tuesday. 
that Thursday night, he wrestled with God. He kept asking God, is there no other way? Is there no other way to show your love? Jesus did not wanna die in that moment. But eventually he says, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Jesus died, not because he wanted to, because he felt like it, because he was following his feelings. No, Jesus died because he had set his heart on listening to God's call. He had set his heart to the Father. He had set his heart on loving me. He set his heart on loving you no matter what. So today I ask, will you choose to lift your arm Will you choose to set your heart, trusting that God will change it? Because when you go through the motions, you may just find that the emotion comes. Amen.